Restaurants Unstoppable, episode 519, with Ed Buenaventura and John Nestor. And how are we able to look at markets that we can bring a product that is on par with any other city, but also maybe in markets that are tremendously underserviced for that regard? Because as you probably know more than anybody, this industry has changed and it's grown and it's, it's not just for people in New York city or Austin, Texas, or wherever it's, it's everywhere. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. If you want new customers, more revenue, and a huge advantage over your competition, then listen up. My good friend and industry expert, Nick Fosberg, is doing something special for Restaurant Unstoppable listeners. He says most owners are wasting money on Facebook because our industry does not provide enough knowledge, and I got to say, I agree. So Nick is going to take some of our listeners and guarantee them a minimum of $500 in sales for every $100 they spend on ads. If not, they don't pay. Yes, that means he's guaranteeing a 500% ROI and new customers in your door. That's pretty rad. If you want more info, go to ru500.net. That's ru for restaurant unstoppable 500.net. Wouldn't it be great if you could play music directly from your Spotify account in your own restaurant without worrying about being pinched by the music police? Well, guess what? With Soundtrack, your brand, you can. Unlike Spotify Premium, YouTube, or Apple Music, Soundtrack, your brand is licensed for business use. And with SoundtrackYourBrand.com, you can import your favorite music from Spotify and share them directly with your guests. This deal typically goes for $26.99, but if you act now, you can get this this deal for $19.99 per month per location for life. Get on it. Again, that's soundtrackyourbrand.com or find the banner in the show notes. With excitement, allow me to introduce you today's guest, Ed Buenaventura. I don't know why I'm so afraid to say this. Ed Buenaventura and John Nestor, are you guys feeling unstoppable today? I'm feeling unstoppable. <laughs> I am feeling yes. unstoppable. Nice. That's what we like to hear. So Cork and Pig Tavern is here today because of the friendship and mutual love for great wines and delicious food that developed when Chef Felipe uh, Armenta, John Nestor, Virginia Dalbeck, and Ed Bueno Ventura met in California during the early 2000s. In 2010, uh, Felipe, John, and Virginia returned to Felipe's hometown of San Angelo, Texas, to open the first Cork and Pig location. With the success of their first location, the chefs partnered with Ed to open additional locations in Odessa and Fort Worth. Today, Cork and Pig and its sister restaurant, Red Oak Kitchen, continue to delight diners every day. Obviously, we're just scraping the surface. I can't wait to dive into your stories and to find out how you guys got to where you are today. But let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? Well, it's a bit personal for me. I'm in the middle of a lot yeah. of move. And then, so today, I'm, I stopped and smelled the roses. Nice. I yeah. dig it. And this is John on the, the yeah. mic, so you guys can get familiar with the, the voices. Uh, I dig it. Stop and smell the roses. What do you have for us? Uh, this is Ed. Mine is be better today than you were yesterday. Be better today than you were yesterday. I dig that too. So uh, I'm going to pick one of these and go deeper. I'm thinking be better today than you were yesterday. Uh, why? Why, are you, why? Why is that so important? I think a lot of times people get complacent and 
for me, when I approach the restaurants and I approach our staff and our management teams, I'm always challenging them to learn and to grow from the experiences that we, you know, shared from the past and approach each day with a different set of goggles, you know, learn from our mistakes, grow from them, challenge yourself and continue, you know, to be the best. And sometimes we get stuck in, in, in a, a rut and we need to sometimes think like, what, 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 can I do to make today better, to challenge everybody, to develop everybody, to make the restaurant more efficient, to make the, the guest experience better, to make the food come out quicker, you know, to make the restaurant cleaner, to have it better organized, to you know, gain higher sales, to cut, reduce costs. But every day I come in there thinking with you know, laser focus of what I can do to make the restaurants better. I love it. And uh, that quote, when I hear that quote, all I can think of is the only competition you have is yourself the person you were yesterday, you know, be just compete against the person you were yesterday. If you make your own competition yourself, like you, you'll never stop improving. Whereas I think some people look at their competition down the street and we're like, we're doing better than them. And that's when the, the, the cucka hits the fan and, uh, <laughs> you know, they start getting past. So great way to get this thing started. And, uh, I do want to give a little nod to my boy, um, Brendan over oh. here for making this happen. Um, and it's really cool when I have people who listen to the show, reach out to me and say, Hey, I've got a mentor in my life. I have mentors in my life that, that need to be made an example of, I've learned so much from these guys. You got to get them on the show. And that's why I'm here today. So thanks for putting these dudes on my radar. I can't wait to dive into the story. And I'm, I am listening to your emails. I will come if you reach out to me. Uh, and I can't wait to find out what this guy's talking about over here. Hopefully it wasn't wrong. <laughs> just kidding. No pressure. <laughs> all right. So um, where did it all start for you guys? I guess maybe we'll start. We got the mic over on you. So, uh, Mr. Nestor, when, when did you get into the industry? Like, how, how did you find this, this role? So it's, it's funny. My, uh, my first job, actually, when I was 16 years old, I was a military child, and I went to three high schools in four years. So I didn't have a lot of friends, didn't have a lot of successes in high school. And being a busboy at the local Cheddar's restaurant in Newport News, Virginia, um, was really the first time. And, and in high school, you're, it's an impressionable age. And so, you know, I was the guy that anytime the dishwasher didn't show or anything, they were calling me to get in there. And, and I, I don't think I had any understanding then, obviously, that it would turn into a career. But my life, I've been blessed where things just seem to continually be fortuitous, where I just follow a path without having to really... You know, I always have dreams and goals, but to just kind of go with what was working and what made me happy. And so, yeah, I've spent more than half of my life in the industry, which is interesting. Is there a time uh, that you can reflect back at and say, hey, this is why I love it. Like, this is what it's all about. Like, this is why I continue to show up every day. Is there a moment like that where like, you kinda, it kind of clicked for you? Early on, with the exception of that, uh, the original busing position, then uh, really where it, it was when we opened Cork and Pig. Um, to oh, wow. be honest, uh, as far as a, a fulfillment or um, just a, a sense of achievement or accomplishment, I, I, okay. I think. Yeah. Bring us to that moment, what you were feeling in that moment that kind of made it click for you. We're, well, we're fast forwarding a little, yeah, but that's okay. So, And, and it, it kind of happens with us, I think, every time we open one of these new locations where there's such a buildup and such an apprehension and such a, you know, I, I would honestly say um, when we open our Odessa location, Okay, and, and, and a little you have to get a little bit of the backstory with Odessa uh, oil country. You know, a lot of people questioned that move for us. But in our heart, we knew it was the right move financially. 
It was a great opportunity from a relationship we formed with with the landlord there. And there were always these questions about, you know, how are you going to staff it? How are you going to hire the right people to run it? And we believed in ourselves. Mm. And, you know, five years in, we've had some great successes there. And so to look back at that and say, you know, there are I've learned that restaurant touring or any business for that matter, it's kind of interesting where it takes a certain DNA, the risk factor where you're willing to put it all on the line when it when it does come through and it does happen for you, that sense of fulfillment, you know, to answer your question is unlike anything else that you can achieve. And and while I had great past working for other people, that's the point for me where I don't know what I would ever do if this went away and I had to go back to that. I love it, man. Great stuff. And I guess the same question for you, Ed. Uh, reflecting back to why you got into this industry, when did you? When did it click? Why? Why? And when did it really start to take momentum? It was a little similar to John's. How I was introduced. It was just a, a summer deal working at Soup Exchange, serving soup, sweeping floors, you know, cleaning dishes, and then I transitioned into a host position because I wanted to be more front of the house. Um, and then that transitioned into waiting tables and then that transitioned into bartending. And then, uh, I was working at Brinker at Chili's location and, uh, I was, found myself being the lead trainer, found myself writing training manuals, found myself rewriting schedules and rewriting side worksheets just because I wanted the restaurant to be better. So was this as a manager or is it an HM or as an hourly employee? As an hourly. Yes. So I was just kind of... You know, music to my ears. It was a natural thing for me. I was, I was in sports. I was always you know, one of the leaders and the teams. And I was a natural leader at that point. And my general manager at the time, um, I was going to Cal Poly, uh, Pomona, and I was a graphic design major. And my GM was a hotel restaurant grad major. And she's like, hey, Ed, have you ever thought about doing this? Like, like as a profession, you're really good at it and you seem to really like it. I said, no. I said, but I do enjoy it. She's like, why don't you take an elective, do the intro class, see what you think. They have an awesome program there. And I took it. And, and it was like travel and tourism, intro, introduction to you know restaurant management. And I was really surprised with the opportunities. This is that Brinker still that your manager said this to you. Yeah, so Brinker. And... Um, and then I took, you know, of course, uh, the wine tasting class. And I was like, wow, this is really cool. You know, yeah. get to taste wine. I could do this for a profession. Uh, then I learned, you know, the, the business side of it, the, the growth side of it, the finance, the accounting, you know, the marketing, the team building, you know, uh, and, and also the, the tourism part really attracted me. And uh, I took one marketing class and then I eventually switched my major to hotel restaurant management at Cal Poly Pomona. Okay. Uh, so one cool thing I want to, uh, or two things I think they're worth shining light on again is that idea of treat it like you own it. You know, if you, if you treat it like you own it and eventually I feel like you will, you don't own Brinker, but you know what I'm saying? Like that, like it will get recognized. You People will pick up on what you're doing and you will create opportunities for yourself. And the other thing as a manager, if you see somebody who's, killing it like let them know that they're good at it because sometimes we don't know that we're good until somebody identifies it and that's something i say a lot on the show but i think it's so important in that moment like that was a pivotal moment for you like where would you be today if you weren't recognized for being good at something right absolutely absolutely and i i do encourage that with all of us because sometimes you know in the industry we're, we're striving to be the best and sometimes we it's, you oversee all the pauses that are happening all the great things all the successes and i think good leaders 
um, are always constantly looking for some new talent for mm-hmm. people who have potential. And, you know, like Brendan was one of them uh, who referred us to the show uh, that we saw his ambition, you know, his desire, his passion, you know, his uh, inqu- you know, inquisitive about every single little thing about the restaurant. And, you know, you, you know, you, you tap into those sources and you pull out that potential and you give other people opportunity. And that's what's great about our business as well. We, you know, we we're allowed to, when you think back and, you know, provide a great living for a lot of these people and a career and, and fulfillment and happiness, which is awesome. Yeah. And then that goes back to even, you know, we've had a lot of success stories with, you know, an average my guy, Manny in the kitchen, you know, he was one of my, you know, prep guys. And now yeah. he's my, you know, he's my regional kitchen manager that I brought over from California. Yeah. And he, and he you know, worked his tail off to, to where he is. And, and uh, I saw that in him, yeah. you know, and fully committed. And that's, that's a huge part of what we do. It's, it, it has to be because without the people that you bring up, you can't do it by yourself. And I don't think people realize that, like, they have to identify, identify these strengths and then put people in the right lane so they can, you know, really excel. So let's kind of bring it to when you guys first started uh, working together, crossing paths. Um, I guess, um, what year is this? When you, so you, were you at Brinker first? No. John and I, <laughs> we uh, ended up together at the Hillstone Restaurant Group, and uh, we worked together at the Manhattan Beach location in California. Okay. So take us through, uh, I guess, this friendship, how it blossomed. Uh, well, what roles were you in at this time? I'm curious. We're, we're, so we, we're, the mic's on John now. Well, yeah. So I, I, I was joking earlier. You know, Ed was – I was – I needed some finishing, if you will. Okay. I was kind of on that cusp. Okay. But uh, so – what restaurant was this? Were you, this was at the Hillstone. In, the Hillstone, okay. In, in Manhattan Beach gotcha. where I was on the, on the cusp of becoming a general manager. And so um, I was sent to work with Ed, you know, with no – there's no long-term, short-term, okay. you know, schedule, if you will. Um, but no, it was great. It was a great experience because it was it was uh, Ed Style was actually a lot of what we were just broaching on, a lot of empowerment. So it was very clear his job was to he was, uh, for the record, one of the most trusted and historically one of the greatest GMs of that company in that region. Okay, uh, and I'm not just saying that because he's sitting here. I mean, you know, um, <laughs> but so. Uh, it was it was a different thing where it was kind of the, the I think the role was to really pull back and let me see sink or swim type of situation. Okay, so you got sent to Ed for additional training. Is that am I hearing this uh, correctly? I wouldn't say training. I would say, you know, uh, it was like the AGM. Right? Okay, got you. Yeah. So uh, what did you see in John? I guess when reflecting back at that time. John and I, we, we really only had a brief time together. I mean, literally maybe 60, 90 days. And then John's skills were needed for an opening in Los Angeles. Okay. So we had a brief stint together. I was just getting to know his strengths, his weaknesses. He was kind of getting to know, you know, the way I run the restaurant. And uh, it, was, it was brief. I remember he was super detail-oriented. And, and to this day, it's exactly the same, you know, Super analytical, very critical, uh, very um, super high standards, a thinker, um, and then you know then, then it, he he moved on and, and did the the other location in, in Century City, and we kind of separated away from a little. We didn't we didn't see too much contact for a few years, but we were in the same circle as uh, our other partners now with Philippe Armenta in Virginia. Yeah. I was just thinking, I'm just going to let you guys tell the story until we, we come back together because yeah. it'll be probably easier that way. So just keep going and uh, I'll, I'll pull back layers as you guys go. 
Okay, so I'll let John kind of take over because it's really about you know the cork and pig at this point. Um, and John moved on and worked with. Yeah, so yeah, to kind of bring it full circle, if you will, that's where we're going here. Uh, Philippe has always been the one to kind of keep in touch. He's been the best at that okay. as, as paths cross. And, you know, I always say I was with Hillstone for almost eight years, and I think I operated out of 14 different stores in okay. roughly nine cities. So it was kind of from Florida to New York to California. And we all did that, uh, you know, very typically. And so throughout this growth process, our paths would kind of cross and, and reassemble. And then um, I actually was the first one to step down and leave the company. And I pursued a culinary degree in, in France. Okay. Awesome. Went to Cordon Bleu in Paris. And while I was there, it was kind of around the time that Philippe was also starting to think what's next. And so... Uh, he kind of took a flyer where we say his hometown of San Angelo, Texas. His father, the important thing to understand, his father and his family had been in the industry in San Angelo for going on 30 years now. And so they've run a very popular Mexican cuisine restaurant okay. there. Um, and so it was a business opportunity that we've always, I think it's important to identify too, when you look at our portfolio of restaurants, most people kind of San Angelo, Odessa, you know, we look at markets that have, opportunity or the adage would be we would rather be a big fish in a little little pond with all due respect than trying to be a you know a little fish in a big pond or competing because for us at the end of the day it's about a sustainable business model Mm -hmm. and how are we able to look at markets that we can bring a product that is on par with any other city but also maybe in markets that are tremendously underserviced for that regard because as you probably know more than anybody, this industry has changed and it's grown and it's, it's not just for people in New York city or Austin, Texas or wherever it's, it's everywhere. And so, I'm curious, uh, not to cut you short. Yeah. Do you want to finish your thought? No. Good. Um, when you are trying to identify these communities, mm-hmm. these, uh, these sweet spots, if you will, I guess, uh, what are you looking for in particular? Like what, what stands out to you as an ideal community to, to find that sweet spot of not too small, but not too big, but just right for us. Yeah. And, and it's kind of one of those things where I always say we've probably been a part of 20 lease negotiations at oh, this wow. point. And that's a rough number, but no matter what it is, it's, it's not about where it's about when all the stars align, if you will. And so okay. market driven, it's, it's, we, we view it where, and there's also some you know constraints too, where now we represent four markets and we're all based in the Metroplex now. And so how are we going to continue? We don't want to just keep taking on more and more markets if we can't manage and service them properly. Okay. And so to answer your question, and, and there's, I'm sure we'll get deeper into this as we go, but the business model, we have to consider that first. And where we look at is, is a lot of that is in-house and I'm sure there's probably some market research studies out there that we could, we could take more advantage of. But we, we look at, we look at situations where, you know, there was the old adage and, and I believe restaurant man, the book had it broken down in the first paragraph of the first chapter where it talks about, you know, can you, can you produce a 30% total labor cost in this market? Can you do a total cost of goods of 30% and can you cover your rent in one day sales? And we really do try to identify business opportunities where we can check all three of those boxes because with our formula, we know if those three things come to play, then we can so succeed. this formula is a formula you just shared with us, right? That yes. will will like one day's uh, 
earnings cover. A, and that's a, a weird. That's not a norm. The food costs and labor costs. There's a bunch is, of variables that come into it. Yeah. Um. So you're looking at all these things. You're plugging in numbers to see if it will work. What about the emotional or like gut feeling of the space? How do you do? You listen to that at all? In a perfect world, I'm not because I fall in love with every deal in every space. And if I, <laughs> I, I can't say this enough, having partners has kept me in business because yeah. I would I romanticize it all, fall in love with it all, and it's hard to just look at things and and you know we've been we're really excited for our opportunity in Los Colinas, which is coming uh, because it was you know Dallas is the market we've wanted to be in, but to to answer those questions and that formula has been difficult for us to find that ideal space and so we finally have this opportunity there that i think we're excited about so it's it's hard because there are literally times where we just have to put emotion to the side and 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 it's better i guess in our opinion it's better to pass yeah it's good to have these checks and balances these equations as you call them right so you can check yourself so you're not just you know taking a risk you can really look through and say like does it does it check all the boxes and to have the discipline to say you know we might love the space but the rent is crazy expensive like it doesn't match like we we as as beautiful as the space is it doesn't make sense and we need to walk away and you have five or four locations between the two concepts right and he's done over 20 you look at over 20 leases yeah that's saying something that's that's having high standards that's worth pointing out um so real quick um it sounds like i want to put some uh you guys told me earlier it's philippe but I see people want to call him, I don't want to call him Felipe so bad right now. It's fine. It, it, like actually, Felipe. either one of those work. Felipe, Felipe or Felipe. Okay, okay, okay cool. Good. So Felipe, uh, one cool thing that you said about Felipe that I found really interesting is the idea that he's the connector. And I feel like the connector is a key person to have in all restaurant yeah. partnerships. The person that knows who to talk to, to pull people together. Uh, is, is it safe to say like that's... I mean, well, I guess what are, the, what are the lanes you guys are all in? Let's start there. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting too because... Uh, that dynamic is constantly challenged, and so it's important where, you know, Virginia has an expression she uses quite often that she says, uh, too many chefs in the kitchen spoil the broth, right? Yeah. So <laughs> uh, it's interesting to point that we're all four restaurateurs since teenage years, and we all four have an opinion, but what we can never do is blur the vision on the food to our staff. Or in other words, we don't want to... You know, we all have to stay in our lanes, if you will, because otherwise you're going to deal with three different versions of the same product. And that confuses not only your staff, but your clientele, your guests. And so the nice part of that is even if Philippe will pick on Philippe is in charge of the food, he always values and he'll always take the time to listen to an opinion. And I think for us, it's always important that we have those conversations in our own time, not I walk in on a whim on Thursday and decide we need to start doing a white bean soup yeah. or, or what have you, you know, because it's, it can confuse mm-hmm. our, our employees and our staff where collectively we have to channel those. Yeah. And it's interesting that you say that because a lot of people will say, you know, partnerships are horrible because at the end of the day, somebody needs to be the shot caller. Somebody needs to make the decision. And that's true to, to an extent, but why not be able to make a decision? Why not be the shot caller for one portion of the right, business right like they determine the menu and they also value your feedback and your opinion and together you do a, a community or co- communicative why can't say, say that word for me collectively 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 is probably yeah, a better fine, word i'll, I'll go with that one uh, collectively and um he values your opinion but ultimately like he's the, the gonna be the one to call the shots is that what am i yeah but i want to get it's it's also important to note that we have to be 
as owners of this business, we have to be empowered at any point in time. If a pizza's burnt, it's burnt. Yeah, I don't yeah. need Philippe to come up here and help yeah, yeah, me yeah. assess the but, situation. Uh, as far as like but, the standard for what or like the the menu itself, right? He's that's he's, right. Yeah, it's creation of the food, and it's always important for him to. He'll always be conscious to represent what's important to all of us. Okay, but um, you know, as we we delicately try to create this brand, we you know without getting you know, chain like, but also represent the same idea and theme as we grow from store and store to store, you know, it's important that we have those conversations and weigh in, but also we don't stub our toe over, you know, personal preferences or intricacies. And we, it's, it's an interesting thing. You know, there is some level of counterproductivity too, because, um, for instance, Philippe on his side has restaurants that he owns independently. So there isn't this panel, yep. if you were all of this think tank to get, simple decisions done and, and i think we do a good job of separation of duties and understanding and and you know i personally sometimes actually need to learn to do more of that and pull away and i, I can kind of you know uh overdo we do more of what exactly sorry well as far as you know um we we all have an understanding ed for instance is our director of operations so if i ever enter into the restaurant and something's not right obviously when you make that call but also i don't need to be the one that needs to start changing up the manager schedule or yeah structuring vacations even though i have ha- have a tendency to overstep those bounds i constantly need to check myself because yep. i am indirectly am the cfo of the company so my focus needs to be on uh paying the bills payrolls yep. all that and then also the, the corporate structure okay so so i'm curious when you guys were all coming together uh it sounds like philippe was in the back of house uh, you were front of house, Ed, right? Uh, you have a culinary degree, um, so you it sounds like you were probably you, you were a little front and back of house. Uh, so, John, <laughs> it's kind of ironic. There was a conversation I had as I was nearing my end where I I thought you know I knew end? I wanted to open a restaurant, <laughs> but I was I think maybe not ready. Yeah. So Near like, your end of the, the your uh, with Hillstone. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. so it was kind of like, well, what's next? And it was it was a pretty abrupt end. So I hadn't really gotten ready to dive in, um, and so I said, you know what? And and the backstory with that is in college, I was a hospitality major, and we had a at Florida State Willie Taggart era coming soon. Nice. Um, we had a summer program where I got to spend two summers in Switzerland, and part of that program was to travel via the Eurorail. You had class two days a week and travel the other five. So I kind of experienced Europe and was longing for that again. It had been 10 years that I'd been devoted to the, to the career. And I, and I think I just needed a reset. Okay. And so I, I literally went to culinary school kind of thinking it was a situation where you would almost like get knighted and <laughs> you'd walk out of, of there. approval. Yeah. yeah. And so the funny thing is I'm horrible. My skill set isn't where you would imagine for somebody because I didn't spend a lot of, and I, and I always tell people, you know, that asks me about going to culinary school. Well, have you ever spent any time cooking? Because it's not like you just show up to culinary school and then, and that's kind of what I thought. But the education actually was what I got out of it the most. What what, what was the education specifically? Well, the, the, the theory behind cooking, and that sounds so simple, right? So what does it mean? And, and I'll give you an analogy. I remember, you know, being so detail-oriented that when I was at, uh, uh, when I first started at Cordon Bleu, one time I was sauteing in a pan and, and it was too hot and it was almost like I didn't know what to do. And then the chef walked up behind me and grabbed the pot and took it off the burner. And it's like, duh. But those are the things that not having cooked before yeah. 
you just have to dive in and, and, and kind of get into it. And so, you know, understanding different styles and, and, and Cordon Bleu's traditional, it's a lot of historical cooking and a lot of, um, especially in the first, you know, the first semester, if you will. So it, it was really an opportunity to spend a year in Europe and recharge and also experience that culture yeah. again. And, that, and it's something I was just totally missing. Got you. Uh, so, uh, when you guys originally opened the first location, it was uh, you, John, Philippe, and Virginia uh, for the first year, right? So what were the roles then? Well, and, and the other side of that is there was actually a restaurant prior to us in San Angelo that okay. Philippe and Virginia opened. Okay. And um, they were – so basically I left Paris to move to San Angelo. Never been to Texas, one of the places I've never been. <laughs> so Philippe reached out to you and said, "Hey, like- yeah." While I was in Paris, we were talking, and he's like, "Hey, I'm going to move." And, and this is a this is a funny story for us. And now, but when I was actually formulating this plan with him, I knew I was going to a second culinary in northern Italy. It was six months away, and I needed something to do. And so, I was under the impression San Angelo was a suburb of Dallas which was always a city I wanted to go check out. So I signed up thinking I was moving to Dallas, not ever looking at a map. <laughs> and literally when I booked my plane ticket, I said, hey, I'm flying in. He goes, when do you get to San Angelo? So the funny part is... <laughs> well, wait, wait, what do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> so I got to San Angelo um, and was helping do the front of the house operations for his first restaurant called okay. The Grill, which is still there 10 okay. years later. And we started running, I started running these weekly P&Ls and, you know, wow, man, it was, it's, it was a, almost out of the gates, a $2 million store. And what year is this? This is in 2009. Okay. Eight, 2008, actually, 2008. 10 years ago. Yeah, to 2009. Okay. Um, and then I, this is where I met my wife, which was great, um, in San Angelo. And then I was moving back to Northern Italy. And so I, I left did the culinary. And when I was in Italy, that's when we started talking about what's next. Kind of what you were saying before with me, where Philippe and I had that really good relationship. And it was one of those things where now I was ready and, and he wanted to create a concept that Virginia had a little bit more control and a more involvement in. And okay. it was the right time for us to, to and, do that. And that concept was Cork and Pig or uh, yes, Cork and Pig Tap. Cork and Pig Tap. Yes. Um, so what year was that open? We opened uh, in January, 2010. January 2010. So two years from the time that you came on board, uh, you guys created this concept and uh, uh, pulled it off, essentially. Yeah, and it's important. You're kind of going back to what we were saying about the right location and the right, you know, we started out that conversation and that process shopping Dallas. And everything happens for a reason. I truly, truly believe that. And at the time, if you remember the history with the economy and with the lending markets. Wait, when you, I, you started to shop with Dallas? Is that what I heard? We were trying to do a oh, okay. store in Dallas. Gotcha, gotcha. I'm sorry. And when I left in 2008 to go to culinary school in Europe, you could get a loan anywhere for yeah. any restaurant. And then we all know what happened. Yep. And, and then it became, we started speculating all these different markets and sites in Dallas. And, and quickly people were very turned off because we didn't have a half million bucks yeah. in the bank. Yeah. And we're lucky to this day because that's what helped us formulate the, you know, having a healthy balance sheet and not, Taking out, so not having butt loads of cash. I don't know why I use that word to describe. Not having butt loads. I'm sticking with it. Yeah. Not having butt loads of cash behind you to to show the banks that you have to pay attention to the numbers because you got to have that track that track record of being legitimate. Uh, and like, is that what? It, like, so you yeah. Can show so them, the, like, the irony was, and so we were sat there and we kind of got a little frustrated. Yeah. You know, because we had our 
you know, dreams that we wanted to do all these things in the, in, in the big city, right? And then we quickly realized without our financial structure and without much financial support, the only real market that that was going to be an opportunity for us was San Angelo. And then okay. we started looking at it and saying, well, why not? It's been great to us. Yeah. It's and been great to the family all these years. Let's take that opportunity and build something. And there's something to be said, too, about going in ahead, ahead of the, the wave and being right. there first and uh, kind of catch, like catching the – it's like timing a wave. Right. You know, like you want to start paddling before the wave gets there so you can get on your board and ride that sucker. Um, so – at what point? So it was a year into the operation, right? That you decided that we need a director of operations, right? What was going on where you needed you decided you needed somebody else, or why? How did that play out? I'm making assumptions right now. Yeah, I mean, it was it was one of those uh, situations as as we were exploring multiple markets. That okay. was kind of that that key is you know uh, we're all committed to our families and and you know it, it, we're not doing the eighty hour work weeks anymore, but we can't take our eye off the prize. And, and so um, once again, everything kind of happens for a reason. It happened to line up pretty perfectly with Ed's personal goals as well, where he was in a search for, for more ownership and, and more structure and, and all those other things. And I'll let him speak on that. So Philippe being the guy that was constantly in touch with yep. everybody, you know, there was a conversation there and, and, and I'll never forget that when I even thought that that was even remotely an option, we were just kind of like, emphatic and all in because it was you know that was the home run we were looking for yeah and there's something again to be said about about being that contact that connector that guy who keeps tabs on everybody because when somebody of talent becomes available or wants to become available uh and you're you know keeping your ear to the ground and you can create opportunities for people that's where i think things really start to pick up momentum so let's bring it over back to ed so uh you're in california philippe reaches out to you and he's like, I got an opportunity. Take us through where it starts from there. Yeah, so Philippe and I, we stayed in contact because he and I worked together in New York. And he was my chef. And that's how him and I connected. Um, and, and John and Philippe were still close friends and colleagues as well. And what restaurant was this where he was? This was still at Houston's Hillstone. It's okay. Hillstone restaurant at the time. So you were now. in Houston now? I'm I was with the Hillstone Restaurant Group working in Manhattan, okay. New York, uh, New York, New York. Okay. And, and Philippe and I were sent there to, to uh, it was going through some struggles to help turn around that store. And that's where Philippe and I really bonded and became, you know, colleagues and, you know, KM, GM. And, you know, we, our passion for food, our passion for service, our passion for design, our passion for service, you know, all the whole, whole thing kind of came together. And aside from his passion, what was it about him that drew you to, to him? His, what were the, the, the characteristics that he had as somebody that you in the back of your mind is somebody that would be a good business partner? You know, I, I always when I told my wife, if I was ever going to business with a chef, you know, because part of the key element is having a good chef. Is I always said Philippe because one his and we were just talking about this earlier his palate and his tongue like he can identify spices ingredients cooking techniques and just natural ability like we would go out to dine he'd be like there's there's you know some crazy spice and I'll be like what how do you taste that he's like yeah and then they they did it this way and to get it this temperature and to get it to have these different textures in there they had to do this and that and I was like wow it just took me to another level and then I also uh, again identifying people's skills I watched him and how he built teams in the kitchen and he took a broken kitchen and he, he made it you know 
cohesive and he, and he created a sense of team and he so created on the a outside sense of pride. looking in what does that look like creating that that co- cohesiveness i think uh the big thing was he made people believe in what he was about and then that allowed them to have trust uh, and then with them and then within each other and then it created that cohesiveness he made people believe in what he was about well is he what he's about yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. He was about quality. He was about people. He was about listening. He was about, you know, giving positive feedback. He was about um, developing, about picking out certain individuals and, and, and taking them under their wing. And, you know, he, the way he organized. And then he was also smart with finances and, and, and ordering and purveyors and, you know, hiring. And, and he had a strong work ethic, you know. And, and during the slow times, he's like, Ed, let's cut labor. Let's get everybody off this line yeah. as you and I work the line. And I go, all right, let's do it. Yeah. And we would just work the line. And so he had all the qualities. I'm like, this guy, this guy's sharp. This guy has a work ethic. He's talented. He has the palate. He has a culinary. And, and it, it was impressive. So you said he, the thing I want to go deeper into, I agree that all those qualities are incredibly impressive but he made people believe and it sounds like he made people believe because he said what he he did what he said he was going to do he would he had that reputation that integrity is that what do you think it boils down to yeah and i think and it's you know in our business is about people you know it's about connecting and it's about um sharing and it's about developing and and it's about those one-on-one conversations and he did that a lot and he he invested into them and they invested back you know into him um and that's really, and I take that same philosophy now. You know, I, I try to, how I look, I approach a lot of things. I spend a lot of time with the general managers and I talk to them about, you know, what I see, what I expect, you know, what we try to talk about solutions and opportunities. And you try to share and grow. And then sooner or later, you can, you know, once they've, they're cultured and they understand the vision, you can kind of step away and let them do their own thing and flourish. Okay, and that's I the cool it. thing. Yes, absolutely. So, okay, uh, you, you just listed some incredible uh, attributes in your business partner, Philippe. Uh, he reaches out to you and says, hey, you're looking for growth. You got it what it takes. I'm opening another restaurant. We opened another restaurant. We want to open more restaurants. And I'm, I'm reaching out to you because fill in the blank. Yeah, you know, so at the time, you know, he's reached out to me previously with the Odessa location and I was like listen I'm living in Los Angeles I'm living a great life you know appreciate the opportunity but I just wasn't really ready to, to move to Texas I okay. was kind of a Southern California guy you know did my stints in San Francisco and yeah. Arizona and New York and I was you know living I wasn't I didn't have any children I wasn't married so this is a great opportunity then things change and I met my beautiful wife Stephanie and had a beautiful daughter Ellie and um I kind of reached out again and said, "Hey, we're we're doing this location now. It's it's in Fort Worth." He's like, "It's not it's not Odessa. It's not San Angelo." He's like, "Why don't you just come check out what I do?" He's like, "Just see it. He's like, For whatever reason, just see where I'm at, what I've been doing here." And I said, "Cool." So I took a flight. I came over here, checked it out, drove around the area. He, he toured me around the restaurants. He showed me what he did. I met up with John. We went to the other locations as well. And uh, I was like, "Wow, you guys built something great." And a lot of potential, you know, a lot of things that, that um, I appreciated and it took a lot of hard work. And uh, I looked at the environment. I looked at the, the life that, that the city can provide uh, for my time in my life with being married and, and having a, a one-year-old. Uh, I said, this is conducive to, to my vision of where we're trying to go. And we talked about growth and opportunity and what their vision and what they wanted. And, and it, was, it was in line with what, what, what I was trying to do, trying to build something What awesome. was their vision? What were they selling to you? You know, they're, you know, number one, we all come from the same, you know, cloth of, of quality and people, you know, 
and, and, and family. And, and uh, we all understood that it's in a plate by plate mentality, table by table. You know, if, if you build something great, you know, you know, they'll come, you know, that, that yeah, old saying, yeah, you yeah. know, and, and I, and I believed in, in, in what the food and the service and the direction and the leadership, I knew the leadership was strong. And so I said, yeah, and I knew that I, and I trusted them. Cause I worked with, we all worked with each other at some capacity at their previous employment. Yeah. So we all understood each other's values and direction and drive and weaknesses and strengths. Um, so it was a good marriage. I got you. So I'm curious, John, I'm going to swing the mic over back to you. Where were you uh, before Ed came on place? Not to say that Ed came and like changed everything, but why were you justifying we need one more person? Like why, why was Philip so persistent or Philip so per- persistent with getting Ed on board? Paint that picture. Yeah, well, no, I'll say we we needed Ed, and he came in and changed everything in a good way. No, I. <laughs> um, but there, there's some truth to that, and you know, the irony was I remember when Ed, Ed and I first started speaking, and, and the concern was I, I felt like I was doing a lot of the heavy lifting, and I'm just going to be honest about that. And whether, in what regard, front of house, more operations than I felt like I okay. could really handle trying to do. You know, because um, Philippe was back of house. That was kind of his. Yeah. And also, you know, to his credit, Philippe also had four other restaurants that he owned independently yeah. that he was doing in and addition I, to that. I should so, bring up uh, Virginia because we haven't really spent much time talking about her. What was her her role during this time? She was actually. So when we decided to do Odessa, the big commitment from her was to move to the Odessa location and help get that restaurant kind of up and running and being our on site and hands on gotcha. person out there. So, um Okay, so you open the second location. She kind of managed that location. She that's her baby, right? And okay, so pick up after I derailed you. Uh, no, you're good. Okay. Well, and so um, the the history was that that location, as we talked about, you know, initially in the interview, was our was our you know reassuring. We've got a good product. We've got something that works that has you know everybody. And and after about two years, the original footprint was a 6,500 square foot building which was way too much space for what we do. Yeah. We actually, and, and we probably should identify, when we're looking at leases, square footage is also a big component of that, mm-hmm. where we don't want to have these monster spaces because, number one, the rent's going to be too high. Number two, it's just hard to execute our product. And your people. And our people. Yeah. yeah. That's so, one thing people say all the time on the show. Well, not all the time, but it comes up often where if you're going to open a restaurant, you might as well open a massive restaurant because at the end of the day, it's the same amount of work and the, the volume's there, the cash flow's there. I don't know if I agree with that. Well, it just depends on the product you're serving. Yeah, I guess there's a lot of variables. Like, yeah. there, there's no two so, restaurants cut from the same cloth. Um, okay, keep going. Sorry. I so you. The, the point was we, we had an opportunity with the remainder of that space where our landlord came to us. It was roughly 1,900 feet. And it's a beautiful building because it's 25-foot ceiling. So um, after listening to our clientele, the two things we didn't do, we didn't do to-go food because we couldn't support that volume on top of our dining space. And then we also, we didn't have large party seating. We kind of try to steer clear. It's just hard to execute, yeah. you know. Um, so with that, and, and at the time of these conversations, oil was, it's a big thing to talk about when you're in Odessa. So uh, all relative, it was very healthy and our business model was healthy. So we took the space next door to kind of create like a grab and go market or listening to our clientele. What are we not doing? And we, we embrace that. 
Well, ironically, as soon as we got it open, there was that oil shift back in 2015. And what happens out there in that market, that market remains healthy, but it doesn't have that big clamoring for, you know, the, the, it would be 20 salads from the secretary to just buy everybody lunch. Those type of things tighten up. Yeah. So we opened this space and within six months, there wasn't really anybody into it. So the Red Oak Kitchen was originally opened as Cork and Pig Market. Okay. And one thing that I think we give our, I should give us credit for is rather than just sitting around and we were now in a 10-year lease in a space that wasn't working. Yeah. So we had to identify how to reinvent that space and what we do to appease the clientele. And so how did you identify? How did you know what to make it? Into a lot of trial and error. I mean, I'd love to say that we walked in and right away Red Oak Kitchen was, you know, there was a lot of things. We It was originally we were open for breakfast and that wasn't a big hit. And yeah. we just had to constantly, constantly evolve. Were but, you like surveying your guests? Were you listening? Like, How were you paying attention to what? A what, lot of that. Stuck yeah, absolutely. Trying to get the feedback from our guests, but also uh, really trying to create a product that everybody loved in at Cork and Pig Tavern. Now, one advantage that we saw is it was a full kitchen with half the square footage. So, you know, I, I believe it's 60 seats, maybe 80 seats inside at the time. So we looked at it. We had to create a more a higher level sauteed type of product, some some higher, and you know, crab you cakes. You couldn't do things. the volume, so you needed to, to make it up on and, the, the quality. The point, yeah. yeah appetizer you know those type of things with also it's important that we always stay within the realm of who we are mm -hmm. you know we're not reaching for things that we aren't realistic for us to achieve and and execute so so bringing it back to i think it, where where were you guys um before ed got here and why did you justify bringing him on yeah so then the so we were now in a position where we're in San Angelo, which geographically it's important to note that uh, San Angelo to Fort Worth is roughly 242 miles. Okay. And then Odessa is another 140 from here. Now, you can make those trips pretty quickly, but when you look at it realistically from a geographic standpoint, we're starting to get spread out. How yeah. do we continue to keep an eye? And also, what are we doing with this concept? Because once we got to a point, and I always say you identify if you're one restaurant or two restaurants, you're kind of that mom and pop. And But once we started pushing the 200 employee mark, now things change and we have to have that developed corporate structure without becoming chainy or corporate. But you have to consider all the angles and all the things that any other structure. big group would do. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And so it was time for me to kind of predominantly focus on building that structure without letting operations. So slip. you had to re or I guess divert your attention to building out the strategy and the logistics to to scale something. Meanwhile, you can't let your, you know, the the day-to-day -day go to the wayside. So that's when Ed came in. That's absolutely right. Okay, yeah. cool. Um so Ed, when you got here, well let me I don't want to make assumptions. Um, I'm kind of guessing stuff, but did things change when I got here? Did he make differences or did he, I don't want to say improvements, but did he make changes? Well, I guess I'll let, I don't know. Do you want to talk to it or? Yeah. Well, a little we'll how about that? We'll do a little hot potato sitting yeah. right next to yeah, each other. No, right no, trust me. We're, I think <laughs> from my perspective, and then I do want to hear, you know, there was a transition where, you know, I don't envy the position of having to walk into something that isn't broken. Yeah. But, but not your own. But, yeah, but also, you know, we brought him in here to make it better. Yeah. But so there was a good balance at 
especially at first, we're taking time with changes and not trying to jump in the first day and be like this, this, and this, but rather, you know, I think what, and I'm curious how Ed feels, what I saw, his, his goal was to show the change in the company and the culture for the long term with the Fort Worth store. Okay. And so to start with this particular location and and those changes in service or heightened levels of sophistication and, and um, even to the certain degree, the menu and the food, we'll use this as that show store or prototype that then we can use for the past restaurants and also the future restaurants as we grow. You also have the university right here too. That's right. So right. you get to draw on that talent and potentially feed people into the family. But and in, in, in it was important that if we're going to bring Ed in, we have to give him the room to do what he does best. And that, you know, admittedly, sometimes I had issues where I had to learn to pull back. It's like, right. you know, asking. And, and so that was kind of the, the strategy. And I think it was great. I, so I think, what does Ed do best? So get clear about that before we pass the mic over. Yeah. Well, I would say his, his ability to, um, when we're talking, and it's all people is, is what Ed does best. And it's his ability to tell you the truth without making you look cry. you straight in the eyes and not candy coat it. Cause I have a tendency to kind of, yeah, you know, where he has the ability to look somebody straight in the eyes, tell them their strengths, their weaknesses, the honest feedback they need. And I would say 99 out nine times out of 10, both parties get up from that table feeling better about the conversation, yeah. not beat up or defeated. Okay. And that's, that's a, you know, all right. sounds good. All right, Ed, swinging, swinging back your, your way. Um, we got the mic on Ed. So Ed, when you got here, what was it like? How, how did you, uh, did you see areas for improvement? Did you see ways that you could take your unique strengths to, to make the whole team better? Sure. I mean, obviously it wasn't broken like John said. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying it was broken. I want to make that clear. But, you know, when you bring more people on, there's different perspective and you all have your own lanes. So there might be areas that others might not see or, you know, lift up or, or maybe, or maybe you screwed things up when you got here. Who knows? Yeah, of course. <laughs> you know, we learned along the way. Um, but John had it right. Hey, let, let's, we have a beautiful location in Fort Worth with, with some really nice finishes and uh, some great real estate. And they said, hey, let's, Ed, go ahead and this is your baby. Go ahead and, you know, take what we built and implement those things. And they're very fundamentally the same things that I, that I considered, uh, you know, running efficiently. Uh, and I just tweaked them. I didn't really try to change the wheel, but, you know, I, I, I really just tried to raise the standard. So you took what was already really great and you made it, you tweaked it to what you thought would make it even better. Yeah, and I just in- implemented some more structure with you know the training program with, re- and a lot was with the caliber of management. You know, really, uh, I wanted a higher level of management. Now, in the past, a lot of the strategy was, hey, let's just take some servers that are key employees, which we still do, and make a management, and that's great. But I think it needed some diversity because I-, I felt like we need some people outside of the Cork and Pig family. Um, with a little more experience to have some diversity and a little bit of a different perspective. So operationally, when you came here, you didn't really change. You guys all kind of came from the same background. You have the same kind of uh, idea of what the job done right looks like. So you, you were probably it was probably an easier transition for you as far as logistics go. But what you wanted to do was to scale the culture, maybe? Is that... Is that what was happening? Scale the culture and, and have some more eyes on the culture. You know, like if there were a little... little the focus wasn't as there, and that was my role to kind of implement these ideas that we all had, but not necessarily always being executed correctly. And I was there to help secure that and help, you know, uh, give guidance on that and feedback on that. And say that again. I want to make sure I heard you right. So, 
uh, you help get give guidance and security on the on what? Again? Let's say, for example, hey, we want to service. You know, idealistically, that this is how service should be. You know, when we talk about it, but the service we're receiving wasn't necessarily there. So, they didn't, your your team didn't quite have the picture of what that that done right looked like or felt like. I think they had the picture. They just couldn't execute it. They didn't have the manpower to execute it 100. Okay. percent okay. And they needed somebody in there to to do the operation side of it. Okay, you know? so what did that look like? How did you how did you make this change, or how did you? Uh, I guess execute what you wanted to do. Well, at first, you know, we tour, I toured the restaurants with them, and we, you know, had dining experiences after dining experiences each of the locations. I was able to measure, you know, what I thought, what you know, the level of service, the level of food, the level of speed, the hospitality, timing, cleanliness, you know, the um, level of, of, of education from the staff, uh, friendliness, you know, and I just kind of just took notes and said, okay, here's what I think we're good at. Here's what I think we need some help with. You know, and, I, and I focus a lot of my attention on the management because like, I feel like they are the leaders of the building and if you teach them well, they're going to spread that knowledge to the staff and the training team. Um, and I got a chance to get to know them, sit down with them, talk to the kitchen managers, um, some key employees, just get, get to know what, 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 how they feel about the company. I'm really tempted to do something real quick uh, because we got one of our uh – we got one of our managers that you were talking about, the people that you came and how you came in and started doing things. I really want to know. He's, he's sitting there. He's starting to get red in the face right now. Um, should we get his – do you want to weigh in on what that experience was like for you when he came in? and Because, and, I mean, you had good things to say before. I don't know. Are you just being shy? Get over here. We can go through deep on this booth. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Ed comes in. We got Brandon on the, the – uh, Brent, Brent, Brendan, Brendan, Brendan on the uh, the mic. Uh, what was that experience like when when Ed came in? Were, was were you here when Ed was here? Um, so or, I, I came into Cork and Pig uh, when Ed was already okay in in with the company. So from your perspective, what was it like to get mentored, to get lifted up, the, to lift up the management? Because that's essentially what he did for you, right? Or he continues to do for you today. I mean, a hundred percent. He just the force that he kind of came in. I mean, he did, just walking in, you just knew that like this is a guy that you need to follow like a guy that you need to listen to. Um, and how has, how has Ed changed you? How's Ed and John, the team changed you? Um, I mean, man, they've given me just the honest feedback that John was talking about that, that Ed's really good at and just being able to, you know, give me everything that I've asked for. You know, I came into the industry late to the game, you know, comparatively to everybody else. And, I was hungry though. As soon as I came in, I, I said, these guys are going to teach me stuff. I mean, yeah. they sent me out to the Odessa location from San Angelo right. I mean, a week after I asked them, I said, Hey, look, I want to learn some more. And they said, Hey, go, yeah. go to Odessa, go see a, a higher volume store. Go. So what does it look like at building somebody up? How, what, when you, when you approach somebody, what's going through your mind? What's the technique you use to, to give them that constructive criticism to, to do it in a way that's building and not breaking down? Gosh, that's that's. I don't know if I can put exact words, but to me, my objective is always about improving the restaurant, and I always try to explain it in that perspective. Like it's not about you, it's not about me. Um, it's about growing the restaurant, and through the growing the restaurant, you know, it's going to help develop you. And it is about me and you because ultimately we need to grow if we're going to grow the restaurant. Yes, yeah, so, so by explaining to them, it's not a personal attack, and that's I always try to explain that to them. Because sometimes the individual, when you start attacking them, they get defensive right away, yeah, yep. and all these defensive mechanisms go. Well, I, it's I go, well, it's not 
I'm trying to explain to you what the you know the success. If we do it this way, this is what will happen. My experience and hopefully that's great advice. It's just that one line of hey, like let's talk. Uh, I think there's ways we can improve the restaurant, and uh, here's here's what I think. What do you th- like? I don't know how you do yes. it, but you're taking the attention off of them, and you're putting it on. Uh, you're not doing bad. But we're going to try to improve the restaurant. Yeah, and, and you know, obviously it depends on the scenario. But I'll just I'll just bring up a situation or an observation that, that I witnessed, and then I'll just you know have him comment on what, what he thinks and when we kind of share stories and you know what I see what he sees what I think could possibly be done differently and and he'll share the same thing and we'll, we'll collaborate um, and, and hopefully through that I'm teaching him culture and knowledge and vision and direction so you don't just come right in and dictate you say what do you think we should do I think there's some things you have to come in and say hey here's what needs to happen and I think there's some mm-hmm. things to say hey like and I'll give him hints I a lot of times I'll know the answer, but I want him to go through the process. Exactly. You want to empower them. You want them to know that they can come to the conclusion and maybe come to me with a, if you see something, then you can come to me and let me know about what you see. And you want them to get that, that uh, what's the word, uh, the initiative to like identify and to report. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's important. You know, and, and he'll oftentimes come up to me with suggestions and I don't necessarily always think they're going to be great, (laughs) but I do know that I need to allow him the flexibility and the empowerment to go ahead and, and, you know, try to implement this. I I feel like this is my, might've been what happened was, Hey Ed, you know, John, I got this great idea. We should have this podcast coming here (laughs) and uh, totally put you guys on the spot. Um, Yeah, kind of like that. Yeah, yeah. 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 But but that's, that's how you grow. You know, we talked about that, you know, you know, like we said, you know, having different employees with different opinions, that's just a wealth of knowledge. And, you know, I might not have experienced some of that. They might have had some success with that program. And I'll say, hey, let's try it. Yeah. Let's, let's give it a shot as long as it makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so the, the big thing I'm pulling from this conversation is uh, when you want to experience growth as a company, you can't grow as a company until you grow your people first. And you identified that. You came in and you said, hey, like everything, the, the operations are down. You're, you're, you're spread too thin to be able to give the, 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 your people the attention they need to take this thing to the next level because you're looking on the logistics, growing the logistics side of things or the, the, you know, the, the strategy, the tactical side of things. We need people on the floor who are the mentor, who are going to teach, who are going to mold. And that's where Ed came in and really took the relationships up to – not that they were at a bad level. I keep on want to say – I know I'm not suggesting things were bad. I, I, if it comes out that way, I don't know. Not mean a to. place before. But <laughs> yeah, I don't even know how we're you in clearly did. Yeah. You clearly did well. You 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 weren't. But you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, so anyway, um, moving on. Anything we haven't discussed up to this point? I mean, we, we haven't even talked about one of the openings. So there's four locations. I think at this point we're only up to three locations. But we are at an hour of recording time. Yeah. It goes by so fast. I told you I could. Yeah. No. It was, it's been great. So anything we we want to add to this conversation the free-flowing portion of the conversation well selfish little plug right we want to plug our you know our next operation in yeah. the las, las colinas market and greater Dallas where is area. that okay um, cool. i'm not familiar so ge- geographically 12 miles from downtown gotcha, gotcha. so uh the best and a little bit closer than the other locations too yeah is that strategic yeah yeah i think so and and, and they call this the, the area the metroplex right dfw yeah. dallas uh, it's kind of weird to drive through. I'm not going to lie, because I'm not from here, and it's like it's like a massive city that just yeah. kind of keeps rolling into one or another. It's kind of, and I think if they were to, I guess it was it's on par with like Los Angeles from a population. Yeah, it's like know. driving along the, the seacoast of uh, any, I guess either seacoast. There's a lot of cities on the seacoast where it kind of rolls into one populated yeah. area after and, another, and, and that's, but it's in the middle of the country. Yeah, <laughs> sorry, and it's hot. 
uh, here. Yeah, not to get too distracted. Keep going. Sorry. Um, <laughs> so you know that's that's our exciting uh, you know next move that we're hoping to be early fall. All right. If you're listening and you want to live in 112 degree weather. Uh, they might be hiring. Just throwing yeah. it out there. Yeah. <laughs> Anything else, Ed? Do you have any final thoughts before we go to the speed round? Uh, no. He's he's like dodging the microphone right now. <laughs> uh, all right, cool. We're gonna take a quick break to thank our sponsors, and we'll be right back. Finally, a simple, affordable, and legal way to share the music that best represents your brand. It's called Soundtrack Your Brand. Get access to soundtracks tailored for any business. Side note, studies have shown that playing the right music can impact your sales. Do you have questions about what that right music is? Soundtrack Your Brand can help you there too. Here's a fun fact. I'm sure a lot of you out there listening to this already have a Spotify account. Well, you can take playlists from your account and import them directly into SoundtrackYourBrand.com. And my guests are always saying on the show that their restaurants are an extension of their own personal brand. Well, so isn't your music. And now you can marry these things together legally. Unlike Spotify, YouTube, or Apple Music, Soundtrack Your Brand is licensed for business use. Skip the hassle of ASCAP and BMI because with Soundtrack Your Brand, it's already included. You can even schedule music for the whole week and adapt the music for each day part. Typically, this deal goes for $26.99 per month, but if you act now before the end of August, you can get this deal for $19.99 per location per month for life. Again, that's SoundtrackYourBrand.com or find the banner in the show notes. I've got a serious question for all the owners and operators looking to increase revenue and get more new paying customers in the door. Here it is. How many times would you trade a $100 bill to receive $500 back? As many times as you could, right? That's a no-brainer. Well, here's the deal. Nick Fosberg, who's written one of the best marketing books for bars and restaurants, who's also been a guest on this podcast a number of times now, reached out to me and wants to run an experiment with my listeners. Nick is looking for a small handful of owners who have a Facebook page, and he wants to set up a promotion for them. But get this. He wants to guarantee them $500 in sales for every $100 they invest in what he is calling his V. OP promotion. If he fails to do this, you don't pay a penny. That's the experiment. And just recently, he ran the same experiment to help the owner of Carl and Chell's Grill House get a 282 offers redeemed in just two weeks with net sales of $14,552. If you're interested in getting more information, go to ru500.net. That's RU for Restaurant Unstoppable 500.net or click the link in the show notes for more information. All right, we're back, and it looks like John is going to start. Uh, what yes. is your it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? Uh, my determination to okay. succeed. Um, I dig it. All right, coming back at you, Ed. I think my, yeah, same thing. My, you know, perseverance to succeed as well. Awesome. So what, and people. What is your biggest weakness? We'll just keep the mic on you. I think uh, the busy admin paperwork and that's why john's so awesome at it because he's he's great at that nice and swinging it over i feel like my biggest weakness has been on display for the last hour but uh what's that uh no um i think one one of my biggest weaknesses has it really been on display because i haven't picked up on it am i really there you go very nice uh my ability to uh kind of let go i have a tendency to hold on a little too tight it's not healthy at times okay 
I dig it. Uh, what is one question you ask or thing you look for during the interview process? Um, let's see. What can you do uh, to better yourself and this company? Ooh, what are you looking for with that question? Well, some type of commitment uh, that they're in it for more than just a job or a paycheck or, you know, what are their what do they have outside of work, which is kind of something that's new to us. But I think it's important to identify that somebody has passions and interests and isn't just kind of going through the motions of the daily routine because we want a level of excitement and a level of appreciation, not only when they're in the building, but also when they're out. So they have something to live and work for. Got it. Ed, same question coming at you. I think it's a loaded question. There's not like one thing that I look for, but I do think if there was, if there had to pick, it'd probably be the passion that comes across to the table and a sense of hospitality uh, and, a, and a genuine sense of care. Um, I do ask a lot of behavioral based questions as well. What would, what did you do when this happened? Tell me of a time that, you know, you had to mentor, you know, a team or, you know, what was your most challenging um, accomplishment? That, that you achieve professionally, you know, and, there, and I'll, I'll do a lot of behavioral based. I'll do a lot of uh, uh, financial questions as well, you know, but if there's one thing, if, if they s- score high in those, those other areas, but I don't feel the passion at the table, and it's kind of a, sometimes it's a gut yeah. feeling, mm-hmm. it's not necessarily always tangible. Um, th- th- then I, if there's a cure, I know I could build this person up. I know I can develop this person. Got it. So what is your biggest challenge today? We're going to keep the mic on you, Ed. Uh, for us now, I think it's hiring great talent. I think that's a. I think that's a common theme in the industry the, uh, everywhere, man. You're yeah. not alone for what it's worth. What about you? Sorry, I didn't mean to take you out. <laughs> I'm swinging the mic. This back microphone and forth is my right. biggest challenge at the moment. <laughs> uh, for me, is is identifying you know the path as we if we're talking about building the company structure, making decisions that are strategic for us. You know, from lease selection to uh, insurance benefits packages, you know, 401ks, yes, no, all those uh, things that we can, I can help build a, a positive culture that allows Ed and the rest of our team to recruit the highest caliber manager we can. I love it. And what is one code of conduct or behavior, a core value you teach your team? Trust. Ooh, I like it. What you got coming back at you? I think professionalism, and I also think, uh, care uh code of conduct i think just just treat people with respect i love it uh what is one uncommon standard of service you teach your team so this is something that's standard within your four walls but not standard within all restaurants i think one thing that we try to encourage is the front of the house and the back of the house to work together as a team and to, you know to say hello and to know each other and it's not like hey that's the kitchen they prepare the food you know you guys are the front of the house but we try to have them engage and and, and get to know each other as, as as a person not just as someone who's you know grilling the, the, the steak on, on the grill on friday night so you, you get them i love that's that's the, the what i was gonna ask you is how you do that but you get the you make them get to know the people. Uh, it's not just them and us. It's like these people have names, they have interests, and like you force that that sharing. How do you get them to yeah, share? Yeah, I think because a lot of our layouts, our design of our restaurants, you know, there's open kitchen, um, and we encourage them to interact with each other. Nice, you know, and, and you know when they're backing up China or they're backing up, you know, whatever ketchup or whatever it may be. Um, to just to, to engage with each other, got you, and support each other, got you. Anything you want to add to that, or uh, uncommon standard of service you can think of? Yeah, well, I think it's important that in our industry, a lot of times people say do this because it's because I say so, or 
and I, I feel like we really try to incorporate the, the old expression, what's the why? Yeah. So if you educate and you take that little bit of extra time to explain the thought process or the reasoning behind exactly. things, you tend to, with the right people, have them embrace the yes. why a lot yes. more than just because the boss says so. Love it. Okay, what's one book that's a must-read to make us a better person or restaurant operator? Well, I, was, I, I, I had the prepared to uh, talk to the snail. Talk to this. It's by Stephen Clark. If you're ever interested in a, in a funny, lighthearted read, okay, um, it's it's basically based on it. And I really had a good time with it when I was living in Paris because okay. it's a it's a Brit who was transferred. He worked at a bank and he was transferred to Paris, and had to learn the culture. and And essentially, he draws ironies on so many things within their culture, and it was just so much fun <laughs> having lived there because, you know. You can relate. Yeah. And you remember everybody always said, oh, if you go to France, they're they're so rude. It's really yeah. not. It's when you appreciate and make an effort to uh, – I've never experienced people that take more pride in a culture. And so when Americans show up ordering a cheeseburger in English, then yes. Then, yeah. You know. So what's the lesson there? So the lesson is, is appreciate your environment. And even I've applied that for having moved, you know, for a guy that wasn't, you know, from Texas originally and, and it's – by far, I consider myself a Texan now, whether they consider me one or not, I don't yeah. know. But, you know, using that analogy, when I got to West Texas, it was a different place. It was more uh, hospitable, quite honestly, okay. than a lot of other markets I lived. And understanding that, you know, beyond a good dining experience, the the, the guests in our restaurant want to feel like guests, not customers, and want to connect. You know, they awesome. want to say hi. They want you to know their name. And sometimes we just get caught up in in the grind of the and, and that doesn't work here. I got you. So Ed, do you have a, a book you want to add to that or no, I'm not I'm not a huge reader. I mean okay. obviously that <laughs> the biggest one probably stands out the Danny Meyer book setting the table like everybody else in the industry. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> so the next question, share one online resource or tool you reference. Is there anything you got there? You know, we just started this bamboo software um that's been pretty helpful with integrating um, the admin part of new hires and alerts for certifications and anniversaries, as well as a tool to it's like a CRM for your employees slash like like relationship management tool or like onboarding. More of an HR software. Yeah, more yeah, more of HR software. Okay, yeah, but it has a lot of functions as well. Um, it also you know helps us to do some recruiting. Okay, as well. Uh, and that's bamboo. Bamboo. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. Anything else you want to add to that? I didn't cut you short today. Okay, cool. Uh, so you pointed at Ed when I asked that question, so I'm assuming you have nothing to add? Uh, that would have been. Okay, cool. So this next question is kind of similar, but what's one piece of technology you've adopted within your four walls that's like more tangible uh, that has had an impact on operations? Or if you can't think of anything that's tangible, I'm talking like labor management or like people, like anything like of, of that nature. Uh, those questions are very similar, but... Swinging it over. Another technology plug. Yeah. Uh, we use a bridge network. Okay. What's it's called Aspect Software. What's it do? So a bridge network essentially bridges your point of sale system with your, uh, our, our CPA firm uses QuickBooks. Okay. So Aspect allows us to gather our point of sale data and bridge it and connect all of it into an, a middle interface where we can generate P&Ls because we have the sales and labor data from the POS and then also invoice entry and all those other 
angles that and and in our company we use multiple point of sales as gotcha. we go through this transition so it can interpret all that data and allow us to compile multiple platforms or yeah so okay. two stores are currently on soft touch okay. and then as we transition and grow we're kind of moving over to aloha okay but luckily because of aspect it can use the same formats to run a PL that looks gotcha. identical from cool. store to store. Interesting. Cool. All right. This is the last question. I don't know if you guys want to split it up or do your, each of your own three. Uh, we can do each of your own three. All right. I'm going to put you both on the spot. I like it. Uh, if you got the news, you'd be leaving in this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work, and your restaurants would be lost with the departure of with the exception of three pieces of wisdom, three things you know to be true about your success in the good of humanity and to leave behind for your legacy, what would those three pieces of wisdom be? Well, I would hope that the first thing would be my devotion to my family, to my wife and my son and my soon-to-be second son on the way. Um, the second thing I would uh, probably need to write down all of our email account passwords and <laughs> bank account information for Ed because there are quite a few. And then the third thing I would uh, hope to leave behind is a growing, thriving brand that supports all of our employees and continues to provide a uh, income for multiple families and our staff. I've got be devoted to your family. Write your passwords down. Uh, leave something great behind. And add anything you want to add to that? Three more. Um, I think also you know find the silver lining in all situations. Uh, and try and try to learn and, and grow from a situation even though it can look miserable. Yep, um, that's one. And, and uh, treat everyone with respect. Um, and I guess as well as family, I think that's top of the list as well. Beautiful. Find the silver lining. Treat everyone with, with respect and be devoted to family. Again, we'll leave that one in there for a twofer. Uh, guys, thank you so much for taking the time to share your story, your advice, your mentorship. Uh, we are all better after listening to you, for, that's for sure. We wrap up every episode by calling somebody out. So can you guys think of somebody you admire that would be a great guest on the show like you made for us today? Uh, the one person I think of is a, an old manager of mine, um, Brian Cole. Uh, he runs a few restaurants in the San Francisco area uh, called uh, High Neighbor. High Neighbor. Yeah. I Brian mean, Cole. Brian Cole. Stone San throw. Francisco. I'm headed that way. I'm yes. happy you said the, something on the West Coast. Anybody you can think of? Or I don't want to. Yeah, I'd have to go with uh, my, <laughs> my buddy, uh, the big shooter. Uh, he is uh, Josh Rutherford, uh, restaurant owner. Out of Chicago, uh, Smoke Daddy, Frosca. He's part of a collection of restaurants up there, but he'd be a great fit for this. How can we connect if we want to follow you on Instagram, social media, maybe come join your team? Uh, you can always reach me at ed, ed, at corkandpig.com. You can always um, also send some feedback on our uh, Facebook page, um, Cork and Pig our webpage corkandpig.com guys again thank you so much for taking the time uh there is no questioning you are unstoppable there you have it another episode wrapped up here at restaurant unstoppable ed and john thank you so much for coming on the show guys sharing your story sharing your knowledge i think there are there were a few takeaways from this conversation uh, first and foremost, whenever it comes up, I got to point it out. If you see somebody who has what it takes to make it in this industry and they have a real future in this industry, you got to tell them. You got to let them know. You got to put it on their radar. It, it's up to us to recognize these things and make people aware of it. They may not be aware of their strengths and weaknesses. We got to point it out and help guide them on that path. Uh, then also, I think it was really cool listening to these two guys, Ed and John, talk about uh, Philippe uh, and his ability 
to to be a connector and how important it is to have that person in your network who is a connector, who sees your strengths, who sees your abilities and pulls everybody together. I think there's a lesson in that. Uh, also, advice on selecting a location. John had some really good advice here. Uh, make sure you have a list of things that need to happen, uh, requirements that need to be met before signing your name. Check all those boxes. And then, and also, go to a under served market. There's a lot of underserved markets right now and you're better off uh, going to a city where you can be the best. So do some research. Look at some markets that are on the come up. Um, There's a lot of people getting out of the big cities right now and going to smaller cities and there are underserved markets. So, you know, keep your eyes and ears open. Uh, Then lastly, some really great constructive criticism advice in this episode that I hope you guys take advantage of. As you're listening to this, I'm in Oregon, and uh, I would love for you to reach out to me. Let me know who I should talk to, who I should get on the show. Uh, Brendan wrote to me and told me to get Ed and John on the show, so I am listening. Let me know where you're at. Uh, I'll let you know where I'm at, and if we're crossing paths, I will make it happen. So uh, do reach out to me, Eric, at RestaurantUnstoppable.com, Instagram, Twitter, Eric Ketchatori, Facebook slash Restaurant Unstoppable. Uh, and I'm, I also want to take an opportunity to say thank you to everybody who helped me out in seattle so absolutely erica todd and van opening your, up your home to me alan for uh helping me connect with the right people uh past guests on the show alan silverton or sorry silverman and then also nick thank you so much man for helping me out uh and connecting me with the right people and uh just keeping me company so yeah guys uh that's all for today thanks for sticking around this long i love you all and until next time peace out.